Great philosophical changes need many generations to turn them into pulsating life, and even our present acres of death will someday bloom again. Alfred Rosenberg With small steps you can stumble into mass murders. That's the bad part. Very small steps are sufficient. Robert Kempner Prologue The Vault the palace on the mountain loomed over a stretch of rolling Bavarian countryside so lovely it was known as Gottesgarten, God's Garden. From the villages and farmsteads on the meandering river below, Schloss Banz commanded attention. Its sprawling stone wings glowed a luminous gold in the sunlight, and a pair of delicately tapered copper spires rose high above its Baroque church. The site had a thousand-year history, as a trading post, as a castle fortified to withstand armies, as a Benedictine monastery. It had been pillaged and destroyed in war, and extravagantly rebuilt for the royal Wittelsbach family. Kings and dukes, and once even Kaiser Wilhelm II, the last emperor of Germany, had graced its opulent halls. Now, in the spring of 1945, the Colossus was an outpost of a notorious task force that had spent the war looting occupied Europe for the glory of the Third Reich. As defeat drew near following six punishing years of war, Nazis all across Germany had been burning sensitive government files before the documents could be seized and used against them. But bureaucrats who could not bring themselves to destroy their papers instead hid them in forests, in mines, in castles, and in palaces like this one. Around the country, immense libraries of secrets were there for the Allies to find, detailed internal records shedding light on the warped German bureaucracy, on the military's pitiless war strategy, and on the obsessive Nazi plan to clear Europe of its undesirable elements, finally and forever. In the second week of April, the soldiers of General George S. Patton's 3rd U.S. Army and General Alexander Patch's 7th U.S. Army overran the region. Since crossing the Rhine a few weeks earlier, the men had charged across the western reaches of the battered country, slowed only by demolished bridges, improvised roadblocks, and pockets of stubborn resistance. They passed cities flattened by Allied bombs. They passed hollow-eyed villagers and houses flying not the Nazi swastika, but white sheets and pillowcases. The German army had all but disintegrated. Hitler would be dead in three and a half weeks. Not long after the Americans arrived in the region, they encountered a flamboyant aristocrat who wore a monocle and high, polished boots. Court von Baer had spent the war in Paris plundering private art collections and ransacking common household furnishings from tens of thousands of Jewish properties in France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Just before the liberation of Paris, he and his wife fled to Bons with loads of pilfered treasure in a convoy of eleven cars and four moving vans. Now von Baer wanted to cut a deal. He went to the nearby town of Lichtenfels and approached a military government officer named Samuel Haber. It seemed that von Baer had grown accustomed to living like royalty beneath the elaborately painted ceilings of the palace. 
If Haber would give him permission to stay put, von Baer would show him a secret stash of important Nazi papers. The American was intrigued. With operational intelligence at a premium and war crimes trials on the horizon, Allied forces had been ordered to track down and save every German document they could find. Patton's army had a G-2 military intelligence unit dedicated to the task. In April alone, its target teams would capture 30 tons of Nazi files. Acting on von Baer's tip, the Americans made their way up the mountain and through the gates to the palace to see von Baer. The Nazi escorted them five stories below ground, where, sealed behind a false wall of concrete, a mother load of confidential Nazi documents was hidden. The files filled an enormous vault. What would not fit inside lay scattered about the room in piles. After surrendering his secret, von Baer, apparently realizing that his gambit would not save him from the ravages of Germany's humiliating defeat, prepared to depart the stage in style. He donned one of his extravagant uniforms and accompanied his wife to their bedroom in the estate. Raising two flutes of French champagne laced with cyanide, they toasted the end of everything.